Hello, this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 54th installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. The 133 presentations prepared by Pope John Paul II and delivered during the five years 1979 through 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using. St. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from unchastity, that each one of you knows how to keep his own body with holiness and reverence, not as the object of lustful passions. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. And one verse later, he continues, For God did not call us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, whoever rejects these norms rejects not a man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. We spoke about these words of the Apostle during our last meeting on January 14th. Today we take them up again because they are particularly important for the topic of our meditations. The purity about which Paul speaks in 1 Thessalonians, see 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, verses 7 through 8, shows itself in the fact that man knows how to keep his own body with holiness and reverence, not as the object of lustful passions. In this formulation, every word has a particular meaning and calls for an adequate comment. In the first place, purity is an ability, or in the traditional language of anthropology and ethics, an attitude. And in this sense, it is a virtue. When this ability, that is, virtue, leads to abstaining from unchastity, it does so because the man who possesses it knows how to keep his own body with holiness and reverence, not as the object of lustful passions. What we have here is a practical ability that enables man to act in a definite way, and at the same time, not to act in a contrary way. Purity must obviously take root in the will in the very foundation of man's conscience and acting, if it is to be such an ability or attitude. In his teaching on the virtues, Thomas Aquinas sees the object of purity even more directly in the power of sense desire, which he calls appetitus concupiscibilis. This power, in particular, must be mastered, ordered, and enabled to act in a manner conforming to virtue, if purity is to be attributed to a human being. According to this view, purity consists, above all, in holding back the impulses of sense-desire, which has as its object what is bodily and sexual in man. Purity is a variant of the virtue of temperance. The text from First Thessalonians See, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, shows that the virtue of purity in Paul's view consists also in mastering and overcoming lustful passions. This means that the ability to hold back the impulses of desires, that is, the virtue of temperance, belongs necessarily to its nature. At the same time, however, 
the Pauline text turns our attention to another function of the virtue of purity, to another dimension, one could say, that is more positive than negative. The task of purity emphasized by the author of the letter is not only and not so much abstaining from unchastity and from what leads to it, that is, abstaining from lustful passions, but at the same time keeping one's body, and indirectly that of the other, in holiness and reverence. These two functions, abstaining and keeping, are strictly connected and dependent on each other, since it is in fact impossible to keep the body with holiness and reverence without this abstinence from unchastity. And what it leads to, one can assume as a consequence that keeping the body, one's own and that of the other, with holiness and reverence, gives an appropriate meaning and value to this abstinence. This abstinence requires, by its essence, the overcoming of something that exists in man and that is born spontaneously in him as an inclination, as attraction, and also as a value that acts above all in the sphere of the senses, but very often not without repercussions in the other dimensions of human subjectivity, particularly in the affective emotive sphere. Considering all this, it seems that the Pauline image of the virtue of purity, an image that emerges from the very eloquent placement of the function of abstinence, that is, temperance, next to that of keeping the body with holiness and reverence, is deeply right, complete, and adequate. We owe this completeness, perhaps, to nothing other than the fact that Paul considers purity not only as an ability or aptitude of man's subjective faculties, but at the same time as a concrete manifestation of life according to the spirit in which human ability is made fruitful from within and enriched by what Paul calls the fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. The reverence born in man for everything bodily and sexual both in himself and in every other human being, male and female, turns out to be the most essential power for keeping the body with holiness. In order to understand the Pauline teaching about purity, one must enter deeply into the meaning of the term reverence, obviously understood here, as a power belonging to the spiritual order. It is precisely this interior power that gives full dimension to purity as a virtue, that is, as an ability to act in that whole sphere in which man discovers in his own innermost being the many impulses of lustful passions and at times, for various reasons, surrenders to them. Analysis of the Pauline description of the body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. For a better understanding of the thought of the author of 1 Thessalonians, it will be good to have one further text present to us, which we find in 1 Corinthians. In this text, Paul sets forth his great ecclesiological teaching according to which the church is the body of Christ. He uses the occasion to formulate the following argument about the human body. God arranged the members in the body, 
each one of them as he willed. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. And a little further, on the contrary, the members of the body that seem weaker are more necessary. And those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater reverence. And our unpresentable members are treated with greater modesty, whereas our more presentable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the member that lacked it, so that there may be no disunion within the body, but the members may have care for one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 22 through 25. Although the topic of the text just quoted is the theology of the church as the body of Christ, one can nevertheless note in the margin of this passage that with his great ecclesiological analogy, which recurs in other letters and which we will take up again in due course, Paul contributes at the same time to a deeper understanding of the theology of the body. While in 1 Thessalonians he writes about keeping the body with holiness and reverence, in the passage just quoted from 1 Corinthians, he wants to show this human body as deserving reverence and respect. One could also say that he wants to teach the recipients of his letter the right understanding of the human body. Thus, this Pauline description of the human body in 1 Corinthians seems to be strictly tied to the recommendations of 1 Thessalonians, that each one of you knows how to keep his own body with holiness and reverence. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. This is an important line of thought, perhaps the essential one of the Pauline teaching on purity. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concludes his 54th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. In order for us to appreciate better this 54th catechesis, it's good for us to remember where we are in this magnum opus, in this great work of Pope John Paul II. This is the first of three parts of the work, the words of Christ. We're in the second chapter, the first chapter, Christ appeals to the beginning, reminding us of the good creation. In the beginning, God created the male and female. In the divine image, he created them. But here we're in chapter two, Christ appeals to the human heart. Christ appeals to your heart and to mine, and those of every human being, whoever has been, whoever will be, even until he returns in glory. And what does he appeal to our hearts about? Christ appeals to our hearts to be pure, not to look with a disordered desire upon the other. And so Pope John Paul II, in the sixth section of the second chapter, addresses purity as life according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit poured forth from the heart of God on Pentecost night and ever since. Not just the tongues of flame which descended upon the apostles in the upper room, or the wind which shook the walls, but the Spirit of holiness which is like the soul of the church. Purity is life according to the Spirit. Purity, the general sense being... Uh, cleanliness, lack of filth. My hands are clean, I wash them. My clothes are clean, I wash them. 
Uh, there is a particular understanding of purity, and that regards human sexuality. Lust is the anti-purity. Unchastity is the anti-purity. Pope John Paul II has, as another heading in this sixth section of the second chapter of the Theology of the Body, purity, keeping the passions away or keeping the body with holiness. He asks it as a question, keeping the body with holiness and reverence or keeping the passions away. He follows St. Paul. Let's keep the body with holiness and reverence. If the body is kept in holiness, sin is far from it. If the body is kept with reverence, there's respect for our own bodies and the bodies of others. This is the injunction given to us by St. Paul, inspired by God. The passions are emotions, are our desires, and that's part of our creation, of our very being. The Lord made us with our passions, with our emotions, with our desires, but since the fall, sometimes they might be disordered. Lust is a disordered desire, disordered activity. Chastity and purity, they are a rightly ordered desire. The last heading in this sixth section of the second chapter of the first part of Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body addresses analysis of the Pauline description of the body. St. Paul identifies the church as the body of Christ. Christ the head, we the members. Pope John Paul II assures us that this is not only a passage of sacred scripture treating ecclesiology, the science of the church, what we know about the church, but it also reveals to us something about the theology of the body, the human body, because Christ is a man among men, he has a human body, and so do those whom he came to redeem, we ourselves. So that, in a nutshell, is an overview of where we are and where we've been. This 54th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, plays special attention to St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, which in part tells us that God's will for us is our sanctification, that we abstain from unchastity, that we keep our bodies with holiness and reverence, not as the object of lustful passions. God did not call us to impurity, but to sanctification. These inspired words are the source of the Holy Father's uh, extended meditation in this catechesis. God's will for us. We know what God wants us to do. And we know that God does not ask us to do what is impossible. His grace is sufficient for us. And so if God wills for us our sanctification, it is possible. What does our sanctification look like? In part, abstaining from unchastity. Sins of lust are against sanctification, are against holiness in our lives. Keeping our bodies with holiness and reverence. Again, sins of unchastity are sins against keeping our bodies with holiness and reverence. We revere the image of God in our own bodies and in the bodies of others. The will of God for us is not to have our own body or the body of others as an object of lustful passion, of a disordered desire, sexually speaking. God did not call us to impurity, and all sin is impurity, but specifically sins of impurity, sins of lust, 
as well as all other sins, God has called us to sanctification, to holiness, to be holy in this life, and to be holy for all eternity in the next life. This is the inspired teaching of St. Paul. This is the teaching of John Paul II. This is our faith. For John Paul II, this passage of St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, is echoed in anthropology and ethics, which recognize purity as an ability, as a virtue, leading to abstinence from unchastity. In the 43rd Catechesis, the Holy Father mentioned virtue, and here we have it again. The root of the word is vir, in Latin means man. Virtue is to live according to our nature, to be truly human. It's a stable disposition to do good, even in the face of difficulty, with joy and ease. Purity is a virtue, the Holy Father is saying. The classical term would be chastity, but here he's using the scriptural term which is totally related, to abstain from unchastity. The Holy Father is reminding us that the call to holiness, the appeal of Christ to our human hearts, to be pure, means not to be unchaste. We are to be chaste, to correspond to the will of God for us, our sanctification. For our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, this is a practical virtue, a practical ability that enables us to act in a definite way and to not act in a contrary way at the same time. Be chaste, don't be unchaste. Be pure of heart, don't be lustful. This is, in part, the theology of the body, possible not only by our natural ability, the virtues, but also with the help of God's grace, with the help of the example of Jesus Christ and his great friends, the saints, beginning with his own blessed mother. Pope John Paul II mentions in this 54th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, a Theology of the Body, one saint in particular, whom he alluded to in the 53rd Catechesis with the term scholasticism. In this 54th Catechesis, the great apex of scholasticism is mentioned by name, St. Thomas Aquinas. He died in the year 1274, a Dominican. St. Thomas Aquinas teaches about the virtues. Pope John Paul II points out, so if you want to see spelled out clearly, what is a virtue? A stable disposition to do good, even in the face of difficulty with joy and ease? Look at Thomas, and he'll tell you just that. And John Paul II went to a school dedicated to St. Thomas Aquinas, the Pontifical Academy of Thomas Aquinas in Rome, known by its pet name, the Angelicum. Pope John Paul II teaches us that not only does Thomas Aquinas teach about the virtues, but that St. Thomas sees the object of purity in the power of sense desire, which he calls appetitus concupiscibilis, the concupiscible appetite, that to which we are drawn naturally. But we may need to make sure that our natural desires are not disordered. We are a fallen race. Even with Christ's redeeming grace given us first in baptism, it's not to say that we might not still have disordered desires. So the Holy Father and St. Thomas Aquinas calling us to check our sense desire, to make sure that our desires are pure. 
This in part, again, is the theology of the body. Pope John Paul II, ever a disciple of St. Thomas Aquinas, continues his Thomistic pause in his presentation by reminding us that St. Thomas teaches that the power of the sense desire, appetitus concupiscibilis, in particular must be mastered, ordered, and enabled to act in conformity to virtue if purity is to be attributed to a human being. So it's one thing to have the sense desire. It's another thing for it to be mastered rather than it to be mastering us. It's another thing for it to be ordered towards the good rather than toward evil. And it's another thing for the sense desire to be enabled to act in conformity to virtue. If we have not mastered sense desire, if we have not ordered sense desire, if we have not enabled sense desire, we do not have the virtue of purity, of chastity. If we want that virtue, chastity, purity, to be attributed to us, we need to master our sense desire, to order our sense desire, to enable our sense desire to be conformed to the true good. Purity is a variant, Pope John Paul II says, of the virtue of temperance. The virtue of temperance is one of the cardinal virtues, uh, not too much, not too little. It's in the mean, in medio virtus statis, in the middle, stands virtue. Purity is not only abstaining from unchastity. Purity is not only abstaining from lustful passions. But purity is keeping one's body, and indirectly that of others, in holiness and in reverence. This is very insightful because sometimes people say, oh, the church is so down. But it's not just the negation, abstaining from unchastity, abstaining from lustful passion. It's very positive. Keep your body in holiness. Keep your body in reverence. And keep the body of others in holiness and in reverence. So it's very balanced. It is our wicked world, a world which often is hedonistic, a world which is often very impure, which is unbalanced. Just remember the last time you turned on the television or turned on the radio or surfed the web. Unfortunately, how much filth do we experience there? How much impurity is there? Let us pray to the good God, the almighty God, the saving God who calls us to holiness and purity, who appeals to our human hearts. We ask the good God to strengthen our resolve, to be a virtuous people, to be a holy people, pure in our thoughts, in our words, and in our desires, as well as our deeds. Pope John Paul II continues his presentation of this 54th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, by citing St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 18. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he willed. Pope John Paul II acknowledges that this text immediately points to ecclesiology, the science about the church, the church as the mystical body of Christ, Christ the head, we the members, but it's also about the theology of the body because he's using the analogy of the human body in reference to the church. And in an analogy, there is always something the same, but something different. So, he refers to the human body, and he refers to the body of Christ, which is the church. God arranged the members of the body, the head, the nose, the toes, the knees, and all that is in between. 
God arranged the members in the body, Christ himself, his vicar on earth, his apostles, their successors and cooperators, all of the faithful. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he willed. There are other passages in the Pauline corpus which refer to the church as the mystical body of Christ, and the Holy Father promises us that he will treat them in due course. Pope Pius XII, for his part, who called Karl Wojtyla to the episcopate, wrote his own treatise, if you will, on the church as the mystical body of Christ, Mystici Corporis. That was a precursor to the Second Vatican Council's dogmatic constitution on the church, Lumen Gentium. The young bishop, Karl Wojtyla, participated in those sessions and in its writing, even if he is more closely related to the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, Gaudium et Spes. Here, Pope John Paul II continues his 54th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, by reminding us that St. Paul wants to teach the recipients of his letter, not just the people of Corinth, but as providence would have it, all the world, all of history, the right understanding of the human body. The members of the body that seem weaker are more necessary, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater reverence, and our unpresentable members are treated with greater modesty, whereas our more presentable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the member that lacked it, so that there may be no disunion within the body, but the members may have care for one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 22 through 25. So here we see again the discourse on the body in St. Paul, who makes a relationship between the human body and the body of Christ, which is the church our fingernails, our toes, our lower intestine, our kidneys, all the different parts of the body playing their proper role, without which we are not ourselves. If my eyes are not working properly, I will not get from point A to point B with safety or promptness. If I cannot sense how hot the stove is, I might burn my hand or burn my dinner. When the body works together, all is well. And this is true not only of the human body, but of the body of Christ, which is the church. And there are privileged members of the church, husbands and wives, play an integral part in Holy Mother Church by the holiness of their lives, by bringing new children into the world who are subsequently made adopted children of Almighty God through grace and faith and baptism. Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body has two parts. The first part are the focuses on the words of Christ, while the second part focuses on the sacrament. The sacrament in question is holy marriage. So there will be so many different conferences which the Holy Father presents, which we will go over, treating that sacrament of salvation, which is holy marriage, which signifies the union between Christ and his bride, the church. 
of a spousal union. Pope John Paul II here in this 54th Catechesis is just beginning his analysis of the Pauline description of the body. He will continue even in the next two presentations to go over that Pauline presentation of the body as it relates not only to the church, the mystical body of Christ, but as it relates to the human body, as Christ has appealed to the human heart, as Christ has recalled that in the beginning we were created male and female, bodily spirits, incarnated souls. This is important because it's the truth about ourselves. It's the truth about our being. Even as we look forward at the end of time to the resurrection of the body in the mercy of God, we pray that it will be to heavenly glory. If we have been pure of heart, if we have been pure in our deeds, in our doctrine, in our desires, in our words, we have a blessed assurance, a blessed eternity in store for us. Until next time, God bless you.